I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Uh, behind the scenes thing here. Uh, so uh, we're recording this after MarsCon. I was at MarsCon, so we recorded the last few episodes in a big back-to-back batch. So we missed a few things. More. Uh, so uh, let's get a quick talk about uh, this Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer that dropped. Uh, Baby Luke. Baby Luke Skywalker. Uh, and it's and it's not CGI. They got like a real kid. I gotta say, that little bit of Duel of the Fates hit and doesn't your heart just stop? I was like, oh. We I have come com- my complaints about the prequels, but Duel of the Fates is still a banger. Yeah, well, you can't fault John Williams for anything that happened in the prequels. Like, and <laughs> none of that is John Williams' fault. <laughs> and we're getting back, you know, not only are we getting back um, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, we're getting back the same actress who played Uncle Ben. Uh, oh, Uncle Owen. Wrong wrong franchise. <laughs> Uncle Ben is someone else. We're, we're recording this right after the the home version of of No Way Home dropped. So I just rewatched that. That is fresh in my mind as well. Uh, I mean, technically, Obi-Wan could be Uncle Ben. Well, yeah. Uncle Owen. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Owen, that actor's coming back. We're getting, for the first time in live action, The Inquisitors. Uh, you, I know you don't watch the the Star Wars cartoon, but I did watch a little bit of, of Star Wars Rebels and see these characters go, you know, much like we saw some other characters from the animated world come into the recent live action shows. More of these animated characters coming into live action. I like it. I'm just like, Coruscant! Coruscant! But also, there's just so much sand in this. This needs to be called, like, Star Wars Obi-Wan. Come get some of this sand. I hate sand. It gets everywhere. Come on, Anakin. Come get some of this sand. You want this kid? Come get some of this sand. (laughs) How much you want this kid? Come on. And I do like the, the 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 little thing that they're doing there, you know, you know, uh, you know, Jedi are supposed to be heroes, so if we may do something that have them act on their heroics, we can get them, which is yeah. smart. We're gonna have yeah. some smart villains in this series. You know what's even smarter? Hmm. Sand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There's just so much freaking sand. <laughs> I am glad we're going to be seeing something more than tattooing, though, because we have spent this entire Disney Plus Star Wars series run on tattooing. Not that I don't like me some tattooing. We spent, you know, two seasons of The Mandalorian and Boba Fett on tattooing mostly. Yeah. So I, I like tattooing. I'm not saying I don't. But it it will be nice to, you know, bounce around, see some chorus on, you know, see 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 where else we can go. And that'll come out May twenty fifth, the anniver- the anniversary of the first Star Wars movie. Yeah, the first time we ever saw Obi Wan, so yeah. yeah. Moving on to another trailer that came out days before we were recording this, Miss Marvel. Yeah, Ka- Ka- Kamala Khan, not Kamala. They they stress this in the in in the trailer that it's not that you know the vice president is named Kamala. This superhero's name is Kamala. Yeah, a lot of people are mad that she doesn't have stretchy powers. Her 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 embiggen powers. Yes, it's uh to the hardcore comic fan. You know, it's embiggen powers. She changes her mask and do all this stuff, but. To the casual viewer, she's stretchy. Well, yeah, but 
the thing is visually it's more or less the same yeah it's it's stretchy powers and as many people have pointed out it's probably a good thing because on film nobody has ever made stretchy powers look good we've had a couple of uh Fantastic Four movies for that, and yeah. Well, and and there have been other uses of that visual in other films. The first Space Jam movie? Yeah, the first Space Jam movie keeps coming up a lot, but there have been other things where it's been more, you know, cartoony and stuff like that. But it's just, we've never really had that look good on camera. And also, they're tying her powers more into Captain Marvel. She's she's not an Inhuman. Yeah, they tried Inhumans. It didn't work. Well, it could have worked. They just did them wrong. Yeah. I think I was the only one that thought Inhumans could have gone somewhere if they'd have retooled it for a second season. Uh, I think that first season soured so many people off, nobody wanted a second season. Well, no, but I mean, it was one of those things where I I thought, watching that first season, I thought, ooh, this got screwed by studio meddling. Like, there was some executive meddling going on here. If somebody could step back and let them be a little more creative, Like, if the studio could just get a little hands-off with it and let the creatives handle this, maybe we could do some stuff. But they didn't. You know? They just canned it instead. And that made me really sad. Because I thought some of the actors were doing a really good job. Um, And I thought some of the plot lines could have gone somewhere. I I think some of them needed to be cut. Maybe that's a future episode we could look at. Maybe. But the um I I was the only one that saw promise there, I think. Uh but since they've decided to go less an inhuman thing and have somehow are gonna tie her into Captain Marvel's powers, it looks like, then I'm okay with them changing the visual to match what Carol's got going on. You know, when when they when they put it all together cuz you know this this series is going to lead to the big team up next for year, yeah. the Marvel's movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, a movie where where they get Captain Marvel and then Ms. Marvel and Monica Rambeau together mm-hmm. and you know Monica's powers do sort of seem to whatever sword was using to contain Westview does seem to have some sort of basis in technology they got from Captain Marvel as well. So it does seem like all three of them are going to have some sort of technological uh, connection, which I think would be kind of interesting. And I mean, there have been people complaining that oh, they're not going to be able to identify with 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 Kamala because she's Muslim, because she's a female. But thing is, Kamala is one of us. She's a Marvel fan. In her world, I mean, not only is she a Marvel fan like us, she lives in a world where the Marvel heroes are real. We see, you know, beginning, we see her doodling in a notebook and dreaming about being a superhero. Who hasn't dreamt about being a superhero? Yeah, I mean, it's really cool she is listed i mean when you look on the wikipedia page for the tv series when they describe her character she is listed as a high school student who writes superhero fan fiction um i did saw turning red but before we recorded those two would get along great Yeah, I haven't been able to watch that yet, but I've heard that as a major plot point. So, yeah. One thing that I did like, and I posted it on social media, is the image that they use at the end of the trailer, which is, and the poster for the show is uh, Miss Marvel sitting on the streetlight, which is 
taken directly from the cover of the comic books. Yeah, so. I did like that shot. I recognized that shot. I was like, oh, that's so cool. So they're, 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 the powers may be different, but it looks like the story and the character is going to be the same as in the comic, which that's enough for me. Uh, June 8th, which means that uh, a couple of these, we're going to have a couple of double shots. A couple of Wednesdays, we're going to have both an Obi-Wan episode and a Miss Marvel episode. Yeah. I mean, sounds fine to me. If I got to get up at three in the morning to watch one of them, I might as well just stay up to watch both. Yeah, true. Let's move on to our main feature. Time to talk about Bruno. We conclude our Bruno spiracy. We conclude our look through the 2022 Best Animated Future Oscar nominees from Disney. We've got Encanto. And just right before we uh, recorded this, there is breaking Bruno news. The uh, Oscars have announced that they are going to be talking about Bruno. The Academy Awards will feature the first live performance of We Don't Talk About Bruno. It is not nominated, as we have said before. However, they will feature a performance of the song in hopes of getting people to watch the awards. That's one way to do it. We've talked about this. Uh, the, the, the deadline to, for nominations was before Encanto's release. So Disney had to make a judgment call. They went with Dos Oreguitas as the song from the film. Beautiful song. It definitely has that Oscar feel to it. I just wonder if they're going to do the Spanish language version or the English language version that, that because both are included in the film. They did, they might do a switch up and sing half the song in Spanish and half the song in English. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, I am I am still on record as saying I would have submitted surface pressure pressure myself. It's interesting that the Oscars would feature a song that is not up for an award. Not really a thing they do. As you say, you know, the Oscars are kind of desperate to get people to watch their show. So they're going to do whatever they can. Yeah, the the Oscars have not been having great ratings the last few years. So I can see where they would want people to tune in. So... I'm I'm not sure exactly how they're going to pull off the live, you know, if they're just going to have singers dressed as the characters, if they're going to try to get the actors in. They could do either. I mean, they. Uh, I mean, most, yeah, it's the Oscars. I mean, who's not going to show up you know, for that? They might just get the cast to just sing the song without the uh, the character dress ups. Yeah, Who I mean, knows? before for Disney things, they've had the actors dress up as the characters, but they've also had actors who did not sing the song dress up as characters and have a celebrity say, I mean, it was Robin Williams who sang Blame Canada. Well, that's not Disney, but still. With a bunch of, well, I mean, I'm just talking about in the history of the Oscars. For Disney, they had, you know, Leah Salonga dress, dressing up as Princess Jasmine riding a, a flying carpet, you know. <laughs> They've done all sorts of interesting things for for the Oscars over the years. But it, it will be interesting to see, and I will definitely be watching to see what they do. But let's talk about the the background of this one because we are dealing with the same team here that did Zootopia, Howard and Bush, and they wanted to do a musical. And they also wanted to do something dealing with their uh, combined experience of having come from large families. It took them a long time to develop this one. It seems like when they added Lin-Manuel Miranda to the mix, they then went with the Latin American theme. 
Lin-Manuel had a lot of influence on the story, especially we don't talk about Bruno because the character wasn't originally named Bruno. He was originally named Oscar. So we almost said, we don't talk about Oscar. No, no, no. And he went with the name Bruno because it went with the no, no, no that he had already written the song. And they went with it. Yeah, we're going to change the character's name to Bruno because it fits the song better. At least that's the story we've been given. True. <laughs> we're, we're still wondering if there's an actual Bruno conspiracy going on or not. We just talked about Luca. <laughs> yeah. Somebody at Disney has it in for a Bruno. But they ended up with a couple of writers who had worked on um, a documentary about the making of Zootopia. And those two writers were both from Colombia. It was those two writers, uh, one Rindon and uh, Natalie Ozma, who were like, hey, have you considered Colombia? Because Disney has not ever made a movie about Colombia. And so that's kind of how they ended up turning just kind of generic Latin American musical into specifically a Colombian musical. And the time period they choose. Whoa. Yeah, it the Colombian Civil War, the Thousand Days War. This is where we start the movie. Yeah. They leave it kind of vague, but it's very m- mid-century. So, yeah, it's probably, yeah, yeah. It's, it's most likely that that the Thousand Days War, yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're dealing with generational trauma the new disney villain yeah the new disney villain which is uh generational trauma and interpersonal relationships this can go back to frozen honestly yeah i think frozen is really the archetype for new disney Pixar is leaning less into that, but the kind of mainstream Disney line is leaning heavily into it. You know, I I cannot speak to this personally. I am simply repeating what other critics and voices have said, but I have seen a lot of people say that this really feels like such a specifically Latinx story in I can t- in, in that sense. I mean, I, I know I, you can t- Yeah, I can to attest it, it again. Uh, we've said this before. I am from a Latino family, and there's a lot of this movie that goes, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, that is so my family in both the best ways and the worst ways. <laughs> But more in that sense of leaving a place for another place and the the kind of generational trauma that causes. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many of my friends talk about that and so many critics talk about that in the fact of this was my family and this was our story and you know yeah you know you you have you know whether it's coming from Mexico to America or from Puerto Rico to the main United States or Spain or Colombia or Cuba, you know, the story is not exactly the same, but similar enough that you can see your family in this movie. Yeah. And even though just for this family, it's, they had to leave one village and go to wherever the Encanto is. It's still, a refugee situation. They are fleeing one place and ending up in another place. Not by choice. If they don't leave, they will very likely die. Yeah. And they do lose people. Yeah. The grandfather, that. right at the beginning of the movie, sacrifices yeah. himself so his wife and his and their three children can survive. And the entire rest of the village. I mean, they are fleeing with the entire village. And I think Lin-Manuel was a good person to write it because there is a similar story in in the heights with the um 
older, kind of the Abuela figure. We're going to be talking about a couple of actors from In the Heights in this movie. Yeah, but there there is a very similar figure to the Abuela in this film. And she has a very yeah. similar story of, you know, coming to America and sacrificing for her family in in a very similar way. And he handles it in not the exact same way, but similar emotional beats. Uh, so it is a similarly resonant story, I think. And this is comes as a surprise because none of the trailers even hinted at any of this. Yeah, it it really shocked me what this movie ended up being about because all the trailers for this movie is like, boy, are you the one kid left out of the magic gift? Ha ha, sucks to be you, Mirabelle. And then, like, you start to watch this movie and it's like, war, death, refugee. Trauma, 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 pressure, yeah. pressure, pressure. Boy, uh, new Disney, do not go watch our movies if you don't want trauma. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or it will reawaken the trauma that you thought you buried far, far down below. <laughs> wow, yeah. Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the people who are in this. Um, speaking of In the Heights. <laughs> speaking of In the Heights, Stephanie Beatrice, you might know her if you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I don't. I knew her from In the Heights. <laughs> And it's like three completely different characters with three completely different voices. And she gets changed because her character in Brooklyn Nine-Nine kind of has a deeper voice. And then she has the big peppy uppy voice in In the Heights. And here it's kind of a more of a normal reserved tone as Mirabelle. Yeah. Um, also, if you uh, watched Modern Family, she is Gloria's sister, Sonia, which is also a completely different. Um, but also from Colombia, that character, because Gloria is from Colombia. And even though Stephanie herself was born in Argentina, uh, her father was Colombian. Pretty great voice there. And it's just come out recently, right before we uh, started uh, recording this. She recorded uh, Waiting on a Miracle. While in labor. While waiting for a miracle. Yeah. So it it turns out that she was kind of worried about disappointing uh, Disney. <laughs> that is very much like Mirabelle. Yeah. And so she, she decided to not make them wait on her vocals uh, while she had to, while she had her child. Uh, so she went ahead and recorded her vocals and like 24 hours later gave birth to her child. It so gives she, those lyrics in that song new meaning when you know that she was about to have a kid as yeah. she's singing the song. As Abuela Madrigal, we have uh, Maria Cecilia Botero. She is a uh, Colombian actress to American audiences. This is kind of her her big thing. But her singing uh, voice. <laughs> Speaking of In the Heights. <laughs> yeah. O Olga Merendez, who was Abuela Claudia in In the Heights. <laughs> yep. So again, like you said, similar characters. This is a rarity, though, because Disney usually doesn't do uh, separate actors for t talking and singing voices anymore. Yeah, but sometimes, you know... I think they wanted someone, when it went to Colombia, I think they wanted someone who everybody would be like, oh, you know? Yeah. Like, I think in the in the Spanish language version, I think they wanted somebody who had that recognizable voice, and she is that recognizable voice. Uh, I, I got I gotta give give that that shout out though, of course, to Olga Moretes, because she does such a good job when she finally does sing. If you haven't seen In the Heights, her performance as Abuela Claudia, like her big song in that, it will absolutely pull your heart out and stomp on it right in front of you, and you will thank her for it. So good. 
Do you want to talk about Bruno? Should we talk time, about Bruno? Time to talk about Bruno. John Leguizamo. Oh my goodness. What 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 do you talk about John Leguizamo? I mean, first of all, he's Luigi. He was the original well, not the original Luigi, but <laughs> yeah. film Luigi, yeah. <laughs> a Puerto Rican playing an Italian next to an Englishman playing an Italian. Thumbs up. <laughs> he just every time he shows up in something, you're like, all right. For uh, the for the Disney connection. He was in Ice Age, which now is a Disney movie. It's so weird to think of that as a Disney movie now, though, because that used to be, of course, you Fox. know, yeah, the the Disney rival. But um, yeah, I think for me, uh, other than of course Luigi, because mm-hmm. that that was a touchstone, of course, of our childhoods. I think that the thing that really made me take notice of him. When I was a kid, was his performance in Tu Wong Fu? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he was... <laughs> Yeah, you know. And then, of course, when Freak came out, he his did... one-man show. Yeah, yeah. The Freakaholic himself, as he called himself. Yeah, and that was such an amazing special. He actually didn't do a too bad job in Romeo and Juliet. Oh, I thought he was amazing in that. Yeah. Uh, and of course, then he he worked with Baz Luhrmann again in Moulin Rouge. Mm. So of course, I I love Moulin Rouge because I'm that sort. There's there's so many points, especially all through the '90s, where it's like, oh, okay, here's John Leguizamo again to absolutely rock your brain. Um, I love I love John Leguizamo in this movie. He does a great job. But there's that part of me that really thinks this was should have been Lin-Manuel Miranda. But, you know, Lin-Manuel actually said that he wrote Bruno for John Linguizamo. Hmm. Um, because John Linguizamo is Colombian. Hmm. And he wrote Bruno with Freak in mind. Hmm. Um, and that same kind of uh you know those little bits where he goes into like you know no that's Hernando no that's you know that's Jorge, Jorge. Yeah. yeah it's those little jokes were very much that's what he was thinking of was John Leguizamo and his one-man shows. Is like, what is Bruno getting up to back there? Well, it's John Leguizamo and his one-man shows. Which I I think is kind of cool. So I think we all originally were like, oh, well, that should have been Lin-Manuel, which, yeah, except Lin-Manuel was thinking, no, this this always should have been John Leguizamo, apparently. Which I think it's kind of cool. Um, so yeah. Um, so as uh, Louisa, our uh, strong sister, Mirabel's sister, we've got Jessica Darrow, who is this is basically her big breakthrough, which is kind of awesome. We need to talk about Louisa. Because there was a bit of a controversy with Luisa as a character. Because uh, the animators had to fight tooth and nail to give Luisa muscles. I think Luisa looks awesome. And apparently so did most of the fans. There's a lot of Luisa fan art out there. There was Even kids were wanting a Luisa theme party. But all of the Encanto party stuff that you get only has either Maribel or... Isabella. Yeah. And all of the toys are either uh, Maribel or Isabella. You cannot really find a Louisa doll because they thought little girls are not going to be attracted to a girl with muscle. But you know what? There is so much uh, Louisa uh, Louisa cosplay. Yeah. Especially on on TikTok and stuff. It's giving the bigger girls another character to play as. Yeah. And it is so awesome. To see, I love going on TikTok and seeing people doing Louisa cosplay. 
and Louisa TikTok dances. Oh, yeah. Louisa TikTok dances are so cool. We've talked before about Jessica Dare doing her um, jazz cover. Under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three-ring circus. She did a, a short snippet of a punk cover. Which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm loving. So, yeah, you, you keep it up, Jessica. We're loving it. We've got Isabella, who is the perfect flower-making sister, played by Diane Guerrero. You might know her if you have uh, watched Orange is the New Black or Jane the Virgin. I have not. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've watched Orange is the New Black. I don't know if she was in any of the seasons I've watched because I haven't watched the whole series. She's also been in uh, Doom Patrol, hmm. which I've only watched a few episodes of. Uh, she does such a good job in this. Uh, <laughs> I I kind of like Isabella despite everything. We've got Renzi Felice. Uh, playing um, Camilo, the shape-shifting Madrigal. He is pretty cool because he's got the uh, Disney connection for being in the uh, Hulu Marvel series Runaways. Mm. He plays Alex Wilder. I I liked him on Runaways. I really liked Runaways and I was kind of uh, sad that it didn't get better than it got i want to talk uh, about one more before we get into it oh. uh wilmer valderrama oh yeah plays augustine but we know him as fez from that 70s show yeah and we've talked about him before and he he will he will uh apparently be our our upcoming uh zorro because oh. we we've talked about that that he he will at least that is what he's rumored to to be working on uh, for Disney. Cool, good for him. And of course, Alan Tudyk as our sir does not fit the rest of this cast. <laughs> but of course, he is our good luck charm, and in this, he is a toucan. Named Pico. I can understand you, and then he just flies away when Mirabel needs him. Yeah. The closest thing to an animal psychic, and she ab and he abandons Mirabel. Yeah. Curse his sudden but inevitable betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> Had to get that one in there, huh? Uh-huh. Okay, so let's get into this movie. Do you think Abuela had any magical abilities prior to the miracle happening? Because we, wh when we get to the Dos Origuitas part towards the end, and we actually see what actually happened rather than the flashback, we see Abuela, young Abuela, just break down, and then there's this burst of magic that happens. Very much, very similar to WandaVision, when Wanda reads the, 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 the note from Vision in the last episode and then Westview pops up. So do you think there's some latent magic within Abuela that caused all of this to happen? I've always thought it was Abuelo Pedro. I, I think it was his sacrifice. I think it's his spirit that's kept it the entire time. Hmm, possible. I, I think it's his spirit that's in the candle and probably in the casita i've heard that rumor that casita is is abuelo pedro's spirit because as soon as he dies and the burst of magic hits we get the mountains growing around the encanto to protect them from the war and then the casita kind of builds itself i mean I, i'm i'm not trying to take anything away from Abuela, of course, but I think it was Pedro. I think if either of them was the source of the magic, I think it was him. Fair enough. Again, the movie is very vague on it, but that's based on the clues. You can it could go either way. Yeah. Uh, poor baby Maribel. There is a again another uh fan theory that because she wiped her hands after touching the candle, that's why the magic didn't work. I've I've seen that theory that you know she she touches the candle and she wipes her hands on her dress before she touches the doorknob and people say she wiped away the magic. 
again, there's no proof of it, but in, if that is a theory that needs to exist, sure. Abuela and Mirabel sort of have the same, for lack of a better term, power in that they have some control over Casita. Or at least Casita listens to them. Because during, during the opening number and during various parts of the movie, she will say, Casita, do something, and Casita will do it. Just like Abuela will say, Casita, can you move Maribel over here? And Casita will do it. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's interesting. The thing that I want to know is Mirabel is... Apparently, everybody gets their gift at five. Supposedly, Mirabel was five when the, the gift didn't work. Antonio is five in the film mm-hmm. when he gets his gift. It has been, in that case, ten years that Bruno has been hiding because he has his vision, he doesn't like what he sees, and he goes into hiding. Because um, he's Bruno, and everyone already says Bruno's unlucky with his visions, and they do a whole song about it. Yeah. It's interesting that everyone else seems to remember Bruno, but not Mirabelle. Well, she was five, and every other character is older than her. Yeah, but not by too much. Uh, the only one I can see who kind of is questionable is Camilo, who is the same age as Mirabelle. And he goes with the seven-foot frame. Because yeah. from, from a perspective of a five-year-old, an average tall person would be a giant to them. Yeah. But it's kind of it's kind of interesting that he remembers, but Mir- Mirabelle has, you know, no real memory. Every, everybody else just kind of, okay, we're, we're just, we're not going to. Deal with that, I guess. Bruno left, therefore Bruno doesn't exist. We just don't talk about him anymore. It it shouldn't surprise me, but where do they think he went? Because as he points out, the mountains are kind of impassable. That's the point of the Encanto. Nobody nobody gets in, nobody leaves. Where where do they think he is? And I can tell you from experience, the grandkid roundup. Yeah. M- my family, and if you touch with Latina family, yeah, at some point you're going to need a, a list of whose kid is who, who's related to you, and how they are. And can I, every time I go to a family reunion, I'm like, can I get a spreadsheet of whose kid is what and who's related to who so I know who's what, where, and what, why, and that'd be nice. Can, can I get a song about my family of all the extended kids? I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not entirely certain that that's just. Latino families, uh, although I I I get that because like anytime I went to a maybe it's just that I have a bad memory, but anytime I went to a family reunion, I was like, I have no idea who you people are or how I'm related to you. I need I need a spreadsheet. <laughs> so maybe it's not so much big families as I just have a really bad memory. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but I do also respect the the different skin tones. I think even though they are all Latino, you have your light skin, your dark skin, and your, you know, your your middle of the road. Yeah, it, the, it's and and it's interesting because you see the variety of people in the town and the variety of people who've married into the family. So like it's, Felix, Felix is dark. Yeah. And Peppa is so light-skinned. And their kids are like that, you know, like that chocolate, light chocolate brown, kind of. I mean, um, those who've met me, kind of, it's kind of my skin tone, if you've met me in real life. Yeah. And I, that's kind of, my, my parents were like that. My dad was really dark Latino, and my mom was really light-skinned Latino, and you kind of get the two together, and yeah. I I think that it's a really interesting uh, representational mix throughout the town. Yeah. That that it's just kind of like oh you know there's just a broad range of 
skin tones throughout the town. Which is kind of cool. I love the opening song with just how they introduce everybody. The family, mighty gal. Yeah, it's it's nice and upbeat. And I like the way that the little kids keep pushing. Maribel, Maribel. Yeah, and I I like her. Who's asking us? Well, us. I can't. <laughs> you know, it's like it's very sarcastic and very you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really good way to introduce everybody without getting too bogged down. Almost like a if this was a TV show and that'd be like the theme song. Yeah. And I love that their name is Madrigal because Madrigal. Literally, their name means song. Uh, I don't know if, if you saw it, but there's a, a TikTok of someone doing the, the song, the family Madrigal, as a Renaissance Madrigal. Yeah, I, I did see that one, and I, I thought that was really fun. Welcome, Welcome to, to the family, Madrigal, Madrigal, the home of the family, Madrigal. We're on our way, where all the people are fantastical and magical. I'm part of the family, Madrigal, Madrigal. The, the awkwardness of the rest of the town that remembers Bruno, Mirabelle's yeah. ceremony. Hey, it's a non-special special because you're not special. That that's a little that's a little below the belt there. I hope this is better than the last ceremony we had. That was a disaster. And like, Mirabelle's right there. She can hear them. And they know she can hear them. And then of course you have the way everyone treats Isabel. Where's one little thing that was pointed out to me when the movie came out that if you look at the pictures, you see the picture of each kid at five years old in front of the door and you look at baby Isabella she's the only one that Abuela kind of has her arm around everyone every other kid she kind of stands next to and it kind of makes sense when you get to the later end of the movie or even the beginning of the movie where you see the flashback it is intentional because of the misdirection at the end that young Abuela looks exactly like Isabella and it's the same character model and it's probably intentionally done that way one, because now Abuela has her perfect granddaughter that looks exactly like her as a young person. And also when we get to the the vision that Bruno has in, later on, where it shows uh, Maribel hugging what they believe to be is Isabella. But because everything's in the wrong order, it's Abuela. I think it's interesting that there is no place for Mirabelle. Like, not only did she not get a room that was magical pertaining to her gift, but that she just, she doesn't have a room. She lives in the nursery with Antonio. Yeah, she just stays in the nursery, which is kind of cold. Like, even Casita doesn't even, like, all right, I'm going to give you a room. You're, 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 you're 15. You deserve to have your own room. No. She has to stay in the nursery, and then Antonio was born, and he's in the nursery, and then Antonio gets her, gets his own room, and then Mirabelle is still in the nursery. Yeah, and you kind of wonder, like, if things had continued, would it have been like, here's 35-year-old Aunt Mirabelle. Still in the nursery. <laughs> and, and... What if Mirabelle found a partner? Where would they go? Would they both yeah. be in the in the nursery? It it does kind of uh, raise that question. Yeah, I mean, if if she went the same way as Bruno, you know, she she did tell Bruno like, well, everybody has a way of you know treating the family weirdo. Um, maybe nobody wants to propose to the one magical that didn't get a gift because then would your children be the grandkids that did get the gift you know yeah what really hurt what really stabbed me and and, and like really in, in 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 my heart was after antonio gets the gift and they're in his room and then they take the family picture without her yeah like even the husbands who have no powers themselves no gifts they get to be in the family photo but miraba who is legit blood relative of theirs who has no ability is left out 
it seems to be this that moment that where the family, whether intentional or not, are pushing away Mirabelle in the same way they pushed away Bruno. I I think that's an interesting idea is that maybe the magic didn't leave because of anything else. It's the magic left because they were excluding family members. The cracks in the house are representing the cracks in the family. We've all been in that situation where there's a problem, whether it's with family or with a relationship or whatever, where you want to address the problem. There is a problem, we need to fix it, and there's always going to be one person who says, ignore the problem and it'll go away. And for, unfortunately, for most of this movie, that's Abuela. Abuela, yes, she is worried about the cracks, but she doesn't want anyone to acknowledge that those things are happening. You know, we are the Madrigal, we are strong, we are powerful, nothing's wrong here. And I think that's just causing more of those cracks to happen. It's the denial that there's a problem. Symbolism. I know that a lot of people want to just be like, oh, well, you know, Abuela is the bad guy. End Uh, of story. I did kind of feel that after the first watch, but from myself, and I think a lot of other people are putting their own traumas into their viewing of the movie. I think a lot of people see that one family member that they see as problematic. And they're focusing that onto this character of Abuela. And they're treating that as, you know, how would I treat this situation? Or what have I always wanted to say to that one family member or whatnot? But uh, as the saying goes, trauma creates trauma. Because we see that Abuela has gone through the trauma. She saw the man that she loved, the father of her children, killed in front of her. And as she says later in the movie, she was so afraid to lose the family that she had left that she tried to protect them as much as she could and inadvertently put this pressure on every family member to be the perfect child, put all this pressure on Isabella to be perfectly beautiful and the flowers and put all the pressure on Louisa to be the strongest and put all this pressure on, uh, on Peppa, you know, clear skies all the time. No, no control your emotions. No bad weather pressure on, on Camila. We need you to help. We need you to be this person so you can help all because she wants to keep her perfect family together because she doesn't want to lose what she has left and that puts a lot of trauma onto everybody else but she doesn't intend to do it and she does apologize for it at the end of the movie which is the most unbelievable thing a part of this movie magic i can get behind the magical house i can get behind a latina mama saying i'm sorry to the kids that will never happen in real life this is this is such a a deep film for a kids movie. <laughs> yeah, for a kids movie. Um and watching it the second time I was like this is even deeper than the first time I watched it. And especially listening to other people's stories of what they got out of it. And I think what you said about when people watch it the first time, you know, I said people see Abuela and they want to be like, "Okay, bad guy." And you said, well, that's because they see the person in their family that caused them trauma and they want to just put that onto Abuela. I know I was guilty of that. You know, the first time I watched this, I was like, ooh, I can name a person. But looking back on on it in a second viewing, it's like, well, of course, this character is not that person. And Abuela, of course, has reasons for doing what she did. Um, And you can, of course, debate whether or not her reasons were good or justified. And of course, the thing I always say is being able to explain why someone does something does not always exonerate them. So, like, Abuela may have had her her reasons. You might be able to explain why she did stuff. But in the end, she still hurt Bruno she still hurt Mirabel and the important thing in healing those sorts of generational traumas whatever they may be is that you have to recognize your own reasons for doing things 
And then you have to own whatever hurt you may have caused and work on doing better and talking about them so they don't get passed on to future generations. And I think that's kind of what we see by the end of the movie. Yeah, because throughout most of the movie, Abuela is showing the value of the kids through their powers and pretty much, you know, what they can do with their powers and how how well they control them. But by the end, as the song goes, the miracle isn't the magic. The miracle is the family. And by the end, each character is allowed to express their powers however they personally see fit versus how Abuela sees it. Like at the end, we see, you know, Peppa is just letting it rain and dancing in and and Isabella is growing her not so, you know, her cactuses and her other weird plants and and so on and so forth. The thing is, is that we see at the beginning of the film a family that is very set apart from the rest of the village. We are the family Madrigal. We do everything. We take care of the village. We do all of the things. We heal people. We create the weather we move things we redirect the river we <laughs> why would you need to redirect the river who, who knows the point is they are the rulers of this town basically benevolent rulers but still rulers yeah but by the end of it the town is working with them everyone's an equal in the in that in that regard they're building the house together you know, the the the, peop- the town people say, we have no gifts, but we can still help. Yeah, and so the border is kind of broken. You know, we see that the, the mountain is kind of broken open by the end. So you get the sense that there is more freedom of movement that maybe there wasn't before. You could go out and new people could come in if you want to go in that direction. It's also, you know, maybe they don't need the mountain wall anymore it, yeah it was the danger is past the war ended 50 years ago the thing about it is that i think that abuela is very much concerned about the family and continuation of the family line she's worried about setting up the perfect match for isabella setting her up with mariano not realizing that he's actually the perfect match for dolores I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, how I said that Isabella is a almost clone, as it were, of Abuela as a young woman. Mariana looks a lot like Abuelo. Yeah. So I think in her mind that she can have these two people who look like herself and her, the man that she loved as young people and get them together. So in her mind, it's like she has that again. To right the wrong that was done to her all those years ago. Yeah, it's it's very much the fact that she is sort of this benevolent dictator. You know, she doesn't really listen back from the family or from the town, really, except for tasks that need doing. It's interesting because they talked about the way that they were constructing this film when the, the writers were looking at it and talking about families that they discovered that most people don't feel seen by the other people in their family and that we all have burdens that you keep from your family and that everybody seems to feel that way. I definitely uh, um, identified in this movie with, with Louisa because I am a middle child myself and a lot of the pressures of the family did fall onto me. A lot of people are going to see themselves into different characters in this movie. Maybe you're the one that is supposed to be the perfect one. So you're going to see yourself in Isabella. Maybe you feel like you're the odd one out. And you're going to see yourself in Mirabelle. Maybe you're the one that has all of the pressures of the family put upon you. And you're going to see be uh, identified with Louisa. Maybe you're the one that has to have uh, change your behavior depending on which family member you're around and you're going to feel like Camilo and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or you're the one who's told you have to have your emotions in check and you're like Peppa. You know, there's, there's kind of somebody in that family that I think everybody can identify with, which I think is, is a good kind of spread. They did, they did a good job at that. 
We keep coming back to Bruno, but I love the way they set up that character because everybody wants to use him as the scapegoat. And the whole thing about that song and the, and the entire movie, in fact, is except for the thing about what we see him predict about Mirabelle, like everything else is just kind of he's good at reading people. Yeah, I mean, uh, also, he's only telling you what you ask of him. Yeah, it's like, it, he, hey, it, dude, look at my fish. Well, you're keeping that goldfish in a bowl that is too small for it. It's probably not long for this world. Like, please get that goldfish a proper tank. And who carries a dead goldfish everywhere they go? <laughs> What kind of person is this? Apparently, this woman's name is Dead Goldfish. <laughs> I'm not joking. Well, it's kind of her only point in the movie. But, you know, also it's like, well, I'm going to grow, grow a gut. Well, I don't know. He probably saw you eating too many arepas, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, dude. Like... Like, how, of course he's going to know you're going bald. He's going to see the receding hairline. Yeah, like, it, it, uh, it does ma male pattern baldness run in your family? There you go, dude. <laughs> and he straight up says at the end of the movie he saw that Peppa was nervous. Yeah, it, it's just trying to calm her down. And it, you know, and she even admits it in the song. He mentioned it, and that's what put it in my brain. Well, really? Then is it his fault or your fault? I don't know. Of course you're going to be nervous on your wedding day, woman. He's your brother. He just, he knows you well, you know? And also, as your brother, he's going to kind of rib you. Hey, it looks like rain today. But also, when do you not have a rain cloud over your head? Most of the movies, she has a cloud over her head. Yeah, it's like. To the point where they're saying, hey, Peppa, you have a cloud over your head. And the whole thing about the, the vision with Mirabelle is he saw a vision and he was like, I have no idea what this vision means. It could mean any number of things because it keeps changing. The, the question was vague enough that there isn't a solid future. Yeah, and I think the point was her future is going to depend on how we treat her. And instead of that, everybody was like, oh, well, it's probably going to be her fault. And he was like, you know what? I know how this is going to turn out because no matter what I say, everybody just figures it's all going to be for the worst because I said it. It's Bruno's fault. Yeah, so I'm just going to go hide in the walls. The thing is, is that I, I do like the moral of this film which is that you're only going to be able to heal these sorts of traumas if both sides can talk about it mm -hmm. you know both sides have to have the emotional maturity to be like i can sit down and i can talk about this with you and i can have empathy for you you know i can apologize for the damage i did to you i can listen to your story i can understand where you're coming from uh, you know what causes casita to, to collapse is metabelle straight up you know, misunderstanding Abuela's story. You know, like, you know, you're the one that's causing the rift in the family. You're the one that Kate, that that chased Bruno away. It's your your need for everyone in your family to be perfect is what's causing all of the problems in the family because none of us will ever be good enough to be to be you. And at, and at the end, again, after the Dos Agritas flashback. Mirabel understands. Mirabel understands what Abuela went through and why she is the way she is. And she's only doing this to protect what she has left. And the two can have that final hug and understand each other, you know. Uh, can see, you know, Mirabel understands what Abuela was trying to do. And Abuela can understand that Mirabel just wants to be part of the family and seen as an equal part of the family, even though she has no gift. Yeah, the thing is, though, is that while it does seem kind of cruel, and you're like, well, that's what breaks the casita, casita can't continue the way it's going. You know, Mirabel, 
tried everything before that. Like, you know, she comes to him and she's like, hey, I think there's cracks here. She tries to to talk to Louisa. She tries to talk to Abuela about Louisa. She tries to do small things like free Isabella. And each time she does, Abuela pushes back. Like, no, we can't do the changes. And I think that that's what causes Mirabel to break. I think if at those points in time, if Abuela had said, let's go talk to Luisa together. You know, let's talk with Isabella. Let's talk about Bruno. We don't do that. We don't talk about Bruno. But I think if at any point she had been receptive to what Mirabel was saying before Mirabel has that meltdown, I think maybe they could have repaired the cracks. They could have, you know. It's something that you've we've mentioned on the show. Mostly you have mentioned the show. If these people would just talk things out, this movie would only be like 30 minutes. Yeah, it's one of those, you know, the movie needs to happen. Yeah. But from a more healthy place, from a, you know, more therapeutic place, from a more realistic standpoint, it's definitely a, a, a healthier thing. But sometimes, unfortunately, in real life, as in the t- the movies, it gets to that point where something's going to break. Literally. Yeah. And uh, represented in this this case by the casita breaking. My only thing, again, I get that this is a Disney movie. I get that this is a family movie and you need the happy ending. But I think it would have been a better ending if the magic never came back. Like if the house, if casita was just a house with no magical powers. And they had to live as regular people. But again, I get that this is a Disney movie. You need that kind of big happy ending so they get the magic back. You know what I like, though, is that Mirabelle never does. Yeah, she never gets a gift. She stays herself. Like, most people would look at this and, and say, you know, the, the some would say the Disney ending would be she gets a gift and the gift is whatever. But she doesn't. You know, she doesn't really need one. I liked that at the at the end. So let's ask the question. Does Encanto have the magic, Kiki? Oh, I th- I think definitely so. In more ways than one, yes. Encanto definitely has the magic. This is a really good movie. And this is one of those movies that you kind of do and should watch with your family. It might get uncomfortable with certain members of your family. Because there's going to be that point where everyone's going to stare at one member of the family during one part of the movie. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, that's you. And depending on which member of the family you get stared at at which time, it might might, might be better, it might be worse. But it's a good movie. Definitely recommend it. Uh, so... Since this is our final Oscar episode, let's ask another question. Brian the Last Dragon, Luca, and Kanto. If one of these three Disney movies had to win, best animated feature, which one would it be? I think I think I'm I'm giving it to Encanto. I think it's just it's it's too overwhelming this year. Agreed. If Raya had come out the year prior, it would have had a shot in that year. Luca, uh, it hurts me to say it because Luca was such a good film. To me, it's it's down between Encanto and, and Mitchell's versus the Machines. But if I, you know, gun pointed to my head, I would say Encanto. Yeah, I think I think in another year, Mitchell's versus the Machines would have taken it. But I think Encanto is just unbeatable. I I would I I'm gonna be very shocked if it doesn't get it. Yeah, I've been wrong before. I mean, there's always the possibility, but I'm going to be super duper shocked if it doesn't. So let's move on to next week. We're recording this episode before the Oscars, and next week's episode is going to likely be recorded before the Oscars. 
So we're not sure how this movie is going to do. But uh, Kiki, this is uh, something that you wanted to talk about. We're going to do the remake of West Side Story. Yay! I want to live in America. Another yeah. another movie about a Latino family. <laughs> yeah, uh, at least partially so. Partially so. We we both love musicals. You, you know, I, I love some of my Spielberg films. This is the first time I really get to combine those. So I I I really I really want to talk about this one. So also a first for us because this is the first time we're going to be talking about a remake before we talk about the original. Yeah, it's true. So that's going to be very interesting. Yeah, and of course it's up for so many Oscars, and like you said, we'll be recording it before the Oscar ceremony, so we won't know how that's going to go. Although um, a lot of the other awards. Uh, shows will have already happened by the time we do, so we'll start to have a good feel for how it's it's placing in the runnings. So, yeah. Come back next week for West Side Story, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye! Bye! Don't let the magic stop here! Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.